As a kid, I've always loved battlefield commands. Primarily, when I was a kid, it was through the movies. There's some great movies where you have great feats of strength, and right before they go and do it, the commander says something. And some of them were depicting real, actual, historical events, and some were fictional, like Independence Day. Whether they were real or not, I enjoyed these great speeches. And then I started learning how to read more than just your cartoon and comic books. When I was in high school and further on in college, I started reading some of the great writings we have in American history and some of the great speeches that exhorted men to war. And this is, most of the stuff I'm talking about is way before teleprompts, okay? Not just someone reading something that's going through a screen that someone else wrote for them. These were heart and soul things. In fact, as you see on the the screen here, some of these battlefield commands have certain things that are within it. Some of these things are declaring a purpose, stating something very important for the people to note. For instance, here's one. He's encouraging his men to re-enlist in the army. My brave fellows, you have done all I have asked you to do, and more than can be reasonably expected. But your country is at stake. Your wives, your houses, and all that you hold dear. You have worn yourselves out with fatigues and hardships, but we know not how to spare you. If you will consent to stay one month longer, you will render that service to the cause of liberty and your country, which you probably can never do under any other circumstance. George Washington, 19, sorry, 1776. I'm in the 1900s here. 1776, he called it out. He got on his horse, was ready to go, and no one followed him. So he turned back, said this, and they all followed. It's important part of the battlefield command is declaring a purpose, why we're going to battle. Advice. We will flank the enemy, and other terms were used. Another aspect, we're stating truth. A reality check. Look at the evils that the enemy has done. We need to do something about it. Most of the World War II speeches were in that category. Or one of patriotism. Look at your heritage. Look at the lions of your blood and see which is in you. Stand up, be called, go forth, and do it. Here's one from a new prime minister. I say to the House, as I said to the ministers who have joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. You have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have had before us many, many months of struggle and suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I say it is to wage war by land, sea, and air. War with all our might and with the strength, all the strength God has given us, and to wage war against the monstrous tyranny never suppressed in the dark and lamentable category of human crime. This is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? 
I can answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all tears. Victory. How long and how hard the road may be, for without victory, there is no survival. Churchill. Some of those words we don't hear today, do we? Part of it is because people don't realize how grave the situation is. Patriotism. But of all the battlefield commands, there's one that touches the will. There's one that evokes something to the will. In fact, in the great writing, Karl von Clausewitz wrote, it's called On War, the philosophy and strategy and what war is about Western mindset. In fact, Eisenhower read it when he was at West Point and said, I don't get it. Eisenhower was put off to the side often until it was his time to be called forth. Von Klausowitz says this, how do you win a war? There's two ways. One, the means at your disposal. Whoever has the most amount of guns typically wins. Whoever has the most army typically wins. Whoever has the greatest means will win. And that's primarily in the Western world what we look at. Who has the greatest stockpile of whatever, we will win. We often forget about the second thing that he talked about. How do you win a war? The means at your disposal. Number two, what do you think it is? The will. The will to do it. That drive to do it. To rouse the troops to have valor in the face of danger. That's what these kind of commands were. These kind of speeches. Let me read this one. And if this is your army, why does it flee? Someone stands in front of an army and it flees. I think only a few of us will get this, what this is from. Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace, and I see an army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men, and free you are. What will you do with that freedom? Will you fight? They all complain, no, we're going back home. I fight, and you may die. Run, and you may live, at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they can take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. There are many great speeches that inspired brave feats in battle, lifted the countenance of men in dark times of despair. It is cultured and gave courage and gave character to the men's in battle and nations. It's helped change the course of history, some of these speeches. Yet, take a look at the next slide. Such speeches in the various histories were well known as places where writers indulge their rhetoric powers, sometimes to excess. Plutarch remarks of some of them, but as for the rhetorical orations and periods of old, he's got some words here that I'm changing here, which 
they may be after they have armed and arranged their armies, one may say, none talk so foolish, so near the sword. You're ready for battle, let's arm up, let's go do it. And many die, because they were fools. But listen, we don't have that in Scripture. We have words of encouragement that deal with a real battle. We have words that inspire, that speak of our patriotism to the Lord. We have words that hit to the core found in this passage. Take a look at the next slide here. It says this. Paul's extortion. He exhorts you to do something profound. This passage in Ephesians 6 is a great battlefield speech in which he calls the church to be made strong in the Lord. It's the only way we can be strong. It's in him. Be made strong in the Lord by putting on virtues so that you may stand firm against the enemy in these evil days. This, what we're looking at, is profound. Martin Luther caught the spirit of this in his most famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress. Listen to these words. And through this world with devils filled should threaten us to do undo, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that this may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. The Lord Sabiath, which is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, is his name from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 6. A great battlefield speech. A great command. If you don't have your Bible, just put your hand up. we got a couple extra Bibles in the back. And we have seen here in this passage that Paul is not concerned about the weapons, per se, or the clothing. Again, as a boy, I love this passage. In fact, I had a poster of this in my room when I was in junior high of this soldier looking like kind of a Roman soldier with all the armor on him, kind of a cartoon face. And I was like, yeah, that's me. I want a sword. What boy doesn't want a sword? And now you go to my house, and what girl doesn't want a sword? But Paul's not talking about the specific weapon, the sword, the helmet, or the clothing that's put on but what they represent. The virtues. And these virtues are the key words of the Christian life. That's what we've been looking at. Even the first four that we have here are key words of the new covenant, key words of the Christian life. And these specific words are the weapons themselves. The virtues are the weapons themselves. And they have a twofold aspect to them. One is essential foundation, this virtue, and it's something that we don, we put on, we live out. It's an attitude. So take a look at the three that we've been talking about quickly here. Stand firm, Paul is saying, by harnessing on truth. Our weapon as a Christian essential is truth. It is the reality of Jesus Christ. He is the 
most important thing that we live for. Without Jesus, we would not have life. Amen? Without him, it would be nothing. Our weapon as a virtue is integrity of character. The enemy uses lies. We use truth. Truth is powerful today. In a world of deception, in a world of confusion, we use truth. And at times, please remember this, truth is offensive. Don't be offensive yourself. We'll look at this later, but truth is offensive. Second thing, he says, stand firm by putting on righteousness. Our weapon as a Christian essential is the cross, period. It is the weapon. Righteousness. His righteousness. We are clothed in his righteousness. So important. But our weapon as a virtue is righteousness. Right conduct. Moral uprightness. A man of truth. Satan accuses while God approves. Satan's the accuser of the brethren. But God, through the cross, approves his children by the righteousness of Christ. The next one, stand firm by preparing with the gospel of peace. Our weapon as a Christian essential is this peace that Christ brought. Ephesians 2 says this, there was disunity, there were two. Now he has come and brought the two into one. We have peace with God. We were once enemies of the cross. But this Christian essential is that he's brought peace. Our weapon as a virtue is the preparations of the gospel of peace. As many of you know, I've been training and getting ready to join a rescue unit in the area here. And last Tuesday at one of the meetings and some of the training I had, one of the lines was this. Given the threats we face, the lack of preparedness could have catastrophic consequences. If you're not prepared, look out. So some of our training is to be prepared. Once a month, we're going to go off in the mountains and train to rescue people and train to do things. So we're prepared for any kind of situation that comes up. How do we as Christians prepare? Watched a video online of people escaping cults. They're caught up in a cult and they, their stories, some of them are just horrible and nasty and just... One of them, they escaped this cult. They were called, I don't even know what the cult was. It was like Christian Army of God. And their leaders dressed up in uniforms and they were barking commands and yelling and just, we need to stockpile. And they were just all just horribly manipulating scripture and just all about, we're going to fight. We're going to go. We got to battle up. We got to train. And, and just some of the crazy things. How do we as Christians prepare? The weapon as a virtue, is the preparations of the gospel of peace. Amen? Peace. We are called to do things in love and peace. The enemy brings disunity, enmity, discord. But we prepare with the good news, the gospel, good news of peace. Powerful things. So this passage, let's read up to what we're at here. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be made strong. This verb here again. Don't just go be strong. Let's just read some battlefield commands and like, I can do it. No. Be made strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual force of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that, way, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Harness on truth. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. Put on this righteous, noble character and virtue. And with your feet fitted with the readiness, the preparations that comes from the gospel, the good news of peace. Now we're going to look at the next verse. I mentioned this great book that many military personnel read. It's called On War by von Clausewitz. There are two popular books if you just type books about military theory. I've got them at home. One of them is On War, and the other one is by Sun Tzu. Anybody know what it's called? The Art of War. Have you heard that before, some of you, maybe? And that is more the Eastern mindset. When you read both of them, they're very different because the Eastern mindset is very different than the Western mindset. Thus, when we go and fight a battle like Vietnam in the Eastern world, it's very hard for us because we have this Western mindset. Here's a great line that von Clausewitz has in his book. War is the province of danger. Duh. War is not a place where you get lollipops. And you get ice cream handed out every day. War is the province, the arena of danger. Don't sign up for the army if you don't like to fight. Well, that's not always the case. But it's going to be a bad thing. It's dangerous. Therefore, above all things blank, here I put a blank there, there's, there's a word there, is the first quality of a warrior. What do you think that word is? What do you think is the first quality? It's a dangerous place. What is the first quality of a warrior? Some of you are saying it. Courage. Courage is the first quality of a warrior. Then he goes on to explain different types of courage. In this passage, we have many weapons given. The first four are virtues that we put on. They're also Christian essentials, part of our Christian life, but they're something that we put on, while the last couple are something that God gives us, a special gift like salvation, the word of the Lord. Courage. Listen to this verse here. Verse 16. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The last of these virtues is seen that lines up with what von Clausewitz says. War is the province of danger. Therefore, above all things, courage, faith, is the first quality of a warrior. 
Stand firm. Take a look at the next slide here. He's saying this. Stand firm by taking up faith. With all these things that you've got, also take. Take up the shield of faith. And the way this is, it's the shield that is faith. This is a genitive. It's the shield that is, which is faith. What is faith? Faith is boldness, courage. You're able to resist, able to stand. In Scripture, if you take a look at the back of your Bible, you have a concordance that says the word faith, maybe. And it gives you probably 20 or 30, depending how big your Bible is, multiple verses on faith. Do you know in Scripture there's different types of faith? As in, when you read the word faith, it always doesn't mean the same thing. For instance, many times when you read the word faith, it means that which we believe, that which we confess. That is our doctrine. This is our faith. This is what we believe in. Be sound in the faith. Does that make sense? In fact, most churches have a statement of faith. This is what we believe. Some of them glean from different historical documents, different creeds, the Apostles' Creed or whatever. But this is our faith. This is what we believe in. There is one God. Very important in our faith. We believe that Jesus is our sacrifice. He is our atonement. We are covered in his blood. These are different aspects. So when you read the word faith, it's that which we believe. Sometimes when you read it, primarily with Paul, you read the word faith and it means saving faith. A faith that saves you. Salvific faith. Very important concept in scripture. Another one is, when you read the word faith, it means the faithfulness of God. It's God who is faithful. Another aspect of faith in Scripture is trusting. Not saving faith, but this faith here is that faith that you walk in, that you trust the Lord. There's that aspect of faith. And close to that is one of the fruit of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's honest living, moral integrity. So, let's look at this. What is Paul talking about? As a weapon, this is also a Christian essential. And with this Christian essential, there's two aspects. First, God protects his people. Know that. We are protected by God's faithfulness. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for faith is emet. When you look up this word, you read passages like this. Listen. Psalm 5, verse 12. Surely the Lord, surely Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. He protects us. Psalm 7, verse 10. My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. God is a protector. He is a shield. He is the one who is faithful and protects. A great passage I want us all to turn to, Psalm 91. In fact, I encourage you to memorize this chapter. 
This is the chapter that my wife loves. She memorized this, and she loves this chapter. So I'm going to have her come up here and recite it. Just kidding. She'd be like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Ladies and men and children, because children are weapons, memorize this chapter. In a world that wants to destroy us, put us down, confuse us, deceive us, this is great truth. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, Psalm 91, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers under His wings. You will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. And it goes on. As a Christian essential, God's faithfulness is our shield. Praise God. You need something to protect you. You need something to shelter you. God is that truth, that faithful shield. So the first part of this Christian essential is God protects his people. Always know that. Whatever situation I walk into, whether it's with friends who are happy, whether it's a time to pray and fight and just deal with spiritual things, I know God protects me. The enemy wants to speak. No, you're not protected. Oh, because of that sin, you... I'm under the blood. I'm under his righteousness. God protects. Number two, as a Christian essential second, faith is the response to God that is essential for our salvation. Our faith in Christ alone is the means on how we receive God's grace. Very important aspect that evangelical churches preach all the time. How are we saved? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at these two famous verses, Ephesians 2, 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not by works, not by the things you think you could do, should do, and all the stuff to attain salvation. No. It wasn't that way in the Old Testament. It wasn't that way today. It's by faith. That's how we attain righteousness. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I have it up here. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the power, this word is used also in Ephesians 6, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Faith in God, in His Son, is so important. You're going to have to go, Mr. B. There. Someone might be allergic, so we'll take care of that. Very simple. But here, in Ephesians, it's not just a Christian essential. Here it's a virtue. Here it's a virtue. Take a look at this here. First of all, faith. Sometimes you just think, oh, faith is just faith. Just believe something. Have you read James 2.19? Oh, I just believe in God. That's good enough for me. How many people are like that? James 2.19 says, oh, you believe in one God, you do well. But the demons believe. 
and they shudder in terror. Belief, just, we get this confused. What is faith? Faith begins what you believe about. Truly, it's important to know who God is, walk in who He is, and walk in this Word to understand what salvation is about. Faith is something that we believe about, but faith also requires that you trust in and commit to. It's not just belief, like just blind belief, like, oh, I believe there's God, good enough for me, check, that's done. Let's carry on with life. No. It's something you have to trust in, commit to. Remember a few years ago when I pulled out that lifeguard buoy thing, the floating device? You could be drowning, and that thing is there, and I throw it to you as lifeguard, the torpedo, there it is, it's going to save you, you can read. Yes, oh, I believe that will save me. Bubble, 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 you drown and die. Faith isn't just believe and head knowledge. You have to commit and grab onto that and trust in it. This word is not just belief, but it's trust. Commit to. There's a personal element of trusting in the Lord. The human response is to trust Him. In our relationship with God, we need to stand firm in the faith and trust Him. Trust His character. Trust who he is. We don't fear, but we have faith, courage, and trust. Again, courage above all things is the first quality of a warrior. We have to resolve to do his will. Let's go to what we went, looked at last week, one of my favorite passages on spiritual warfare. Revelation should be an easy one for you to find. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. In fact, in high school, in the yearbooks, this is the verse I put some Bible, I put some kind of thing, and then, then put this verse, except a couple of them I actually put 11, 12, and you read that when you laugh, like some guy opens that up and, what? Ah! Anyways, Revelation 12, verse 11. Again, they're talking about the great dragon that's hurled down, Satan. The wicked one who leads the world astray. He is the one as the accuser. Look at verse 10. Now, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. Then verse 11. Here it is. Look at this. And they overcame him, Satan the dragon, the enemy. This is how they overcame come the enemy. Number one, the main weapon. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the cross. Amen? It's not about what you can do and muster up and fight. This is not a, a, an arm wrestling against you and the devil. It's all about God and the cross. Amen? Always know that. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their mouth, and loved not their lives to the death, is another translation. Faith, courage. I'm going to stand. I'm going to have this virtue to stand and have courage to fight. Who is like that today? By the word of their testimony, and did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They had courage. They will not be silent in this dark day. 
We just prayed for the kids because they are precious to us. Not because they're the future of the church. They are weapons today, amen? By their praise, it says, they destroy the enemy. But we live in hard times. 75 years ago, at school, guess what you got in trouble for? Right here, bubble gum. That's what you got in trouble for. And if you talk back to the teacher. Wouldn't teachers love that today? You got in trouble, you talk back. Now what do you get in trouble for? Guns, bomb threats, horrible things. We live in dark times, people. In these dark times. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and loved not their lives to the death. I will not be silent about God's truth and his peace and his love. Look at 1 Peter 5, 8 9. I put it up here. Be alert, he says, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls along around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. One of our weapons is to stand firm in the faith. Resist the enemy who wants to destroy and deceive and cause problems. You need faith to resist the devil, this says. How do you fight against the enemy? You have faith. You stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Well, how do we get this power to do it? Go to Ephesians. If you recall, this is the verse that I, the passage that I pray for you as a church and individually. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, one of the great prayers in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 3, starting with verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth drives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. How do you get the power? It comes from his resources, from his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through, how does this all come? Through faith. This all comes through. Through faith. This is how we acquire the power. But the problem is, sometimes we think the dangers are so grand and great, and we whimper away and say, we can't do it. We forget the great battlefield commands that the Lord has given us in Scripture. And we don't have faith. And when it comes to spiritual warfare, faith is essential. Take a look at this passage. Matthew chapter 17. Turn to Matthew 17. Here's a great example of what this looks like. Matthew 17, starting with verse 14. Matthew 17, 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. I love this. Lord, have mercy on my son. Any parent knows what that's like. 
Some of you parents have dealt with your children. They've made foolish mistakes. You've put thousands into them. You've done great things. You've, you've fought for them. You've prayed saying, Lord, don't take care of my children, please, Lord. Love the sincerity of this. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Listen to what Jesus says. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon. Well, I'm sorry, my Bible must be wrong here. Because he didn't have a demon up here. He just had seizures. Take him to a doctor. Give him the right medication. See, that's how our mind thinks today. I'm not saying that everyone has seizures, has demons. But remember the three realms. The world, the flesh, and the devil. All these three realms are usually happening. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy. Wait a second, that's pretty short. Shouldn't it be like six hours of exorcism and holy water and all these cantations? Oh, no. The cross has spoiled the enemy. We live in that. And it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and probably perplexed and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Faith is so important. Faith here is not faith in how much faith you can have. It's faith in the powerful, mighty God. Our faith, the object of our faith, is God. A firm resolve to do his work. This is the faith that Paul is talking about. We walk in faith. This is our weapon. We trust the Lord Not only has he conquered death, but he'll conquer my fears and doubt. But this passage talks about this shield. This is one of the weapons that he doesn't allude to in Isaiah, as much as he's brought to in Isaiah. Here, I'm sure he's probably talking about this kind of shield that the Romans had. Probably four foot by two foot. It was wooden. And you know what they would do? They would cover it with leather, leather, and soak it in water. It gets heavy when it's full of water, trust me. Most of the trips I take, I want to get in the snow so I can get the water up there instead of carrying gallons with me when I go hiking. Ephesians. This shield of faith extinguishes the arrows of the devil. Because when it's soaked in water, their shields wouldn't burn up. Arrows. We are to fear Not this world, 
but have our fear and trust in the Lord. My confidence and reliance is in Him. But if you see the next slide here, there's arrows. I thought through this. I thought, what, what are the arrows? Arrows are the assaults from the three realms, Ephesians chapter 2. They can be a numerous amount of things. Persecutions, trials, temptations, doubt, despair, fear, evil thoughts, guilt, false teachings, demonic attack, rebellion, a shield. Faith protects us against those things. Faith protects you against these things. Again, it's not faith in my faith, how much faith I can muster up. I just got to have as much as a mustard seed. Yeah, that's there. What's the object of my faith? The Lord. Little David, in front of Goliath, what was the object of David's faith? That giant or the greatest giant of all? God. The great and mighty one. What does this weapon counter? Most of these weapons, again, counter something. We fight against fear. We're frightened, alarm. I scare my kids once in a while. It's kind of fun. I like that. But we're talking real fear. In this world, there is real fear. But faith counters that fear. Faith counters that. Again, we put our confidence in God. We fight against doubt. We fight against worry. Fear, doubt, and worry. Those are the three words that I think are the kind of boiled on. All the other things are connected to that. If you struggle, it's probably fear, doubt, or worry. Have faith in the Lord. Have trust in Him. Why is this taking so long? Read through the Psalms, and you'll see David often says, How long, O Lord, will I suffer? Please, come on! Have faith. Put your trust and confidence in Him. Don't look at the evil one. Look and put your confidence in Him. When under attack, when you're living in fear, doubt, and worry, when you're under attack, have a firm resolve and confidence and trust the power found in Jesus Christ that protects. He is the one that protects you. Satan attacks, faith protects. Satan attacks, faith protects. I remember I was in South America and we were getting close to finishing up our ministry there. I just got back from the Amazon, hooked up with the team. I was tired, I was excited. But chaos happened. People were tired, weary. So I thought, okay, get them the right food. The flesh is involved here. When, when you don't eat right, when you're eating a bunch of garbage, or eating, that can mess you up, right? Or if you don't sleep right, if you don't sleep for a couple days, you're going to just be, woo, everything gets amplified and emotional. So I was like, you know what? Physically here, the flesh, we've got we to take care of people here. Let's, let's just go and get some what we call comfort food. Because when you're in a different country after a while, that food, you just kind of, oh, I just need comfort food. So we went to food that kind of had American type of food. So we're like, oh, yes, pizza. Who cares if it has corn on it? We're eating pizza. They're like, it just kind of rejuvenated everyone. But there was still so much going on. Not only with our group, 
but with our dear friends, family, friends that are so dear to us that we're missionaries. Missionaries are under attack so often. And we always think it's all these like big supernatural forces, but many times it has to do with their family and finances. This one family that you know, you know them, were under serious attack. And I just was like, you know what? We need to pray. So I just said, you people. I had a bunch of my team. You guys, I'm not going to tell you what's going on. I can't tell you. Because this is, this is crazy stuff. I can't believe this is happening. Missionaries, you're going to have to leave the missionary field because of what's happening. I need you guys to just go pray. Have faith. Just trust the Lord. Say, Lord, we ask you to just do your work. Bring healing. Do your stuff. You guys just go pray for a couple hours. Okay, we'll do it. And they prayed. Their resolve was in the Lord. And I met with families and we prayed and we talked. And we just said, you know what? The enemy's involved in us. We need to just, Lord, silence the enemy in the name of Jesus. May his plans fall to the ground and have no effect. Because of the cross. Nothing big. But let's also deal with the tension going on. We had to talk about that. And the arrows were all around us. But our faith in the Lord stood true and we did not give in we did not falter and we stood strong and as your spiritual coach one of the main things I'm called to do is keep going don't give up in the faith I know your family is like oh it's like a slinky dink that's been pulled and bing it's all gnarly up and oh what's going on Lord don't give up in the faith don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up with your kids. Don't give up with your grandkids. Don't give up on your job. Just those are important, but don't give up in the Lord. Be strong in Him. Seek Him always. May your fingers, I love this verse in Psalms, says, Lord, you train my hands for war. Church, here's how you train your hands for war. Keep your fingers in this book all the time. Keep your gaze upon Him, the author and finisher of our faith. Don't give up the faith. Stand firm. Don't give up the faith. That's what I want to be to you. Always have faith. Because he is the essential element of your life. He is the shield. He protects you. But put on this virtue of faith. It's the number one quality of a warrior. Be strong in the Lord. And that requires faith. Don't give up. Don't give in carry on through blood, sweat, and tears because the battle is there, it's real, but the war is won. I want to end with this verse. Turn to 1 Corinthians 16. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you're probably on the same page. 1 Corinthians 16. This is a great verse. Write this down on a note card. Put it by your office. Put it by your bathroom. So every morning you see this and go, this is what I'm called to do. I will not falter. I won't give in. Verse 13. Be on your guard. Love that. Because don't get, don't get confused, church. This is not a physical battle. We wrestle against flesh and blood. Yeah, there's some of that element, but no, it's a spiritual battle. 
We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6. Be on your guard. The enemy's all around. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. What a great verse, isn't it? That is great. I love the next verse. Do this with mighty weapons and warrior. Let's get the voice going and come on. I love this next verse. Let me read it together. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. Oh, what? Oh, love is powerful in a day of confusion, in a day of deception, in a day when the world wants to suck you in. Love is the most powerful thing. Now abide in faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest is what? Love. Let's pray.